Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Talks with Dalat, where we aim to deconstruct the seemingly complex world of finance for you and empower investors to take better and relevant investment decisions. My name is Varun Fatehpuriya and I am the founder and CEO of Dalat Wealth Management. Today, we have a very special guest on our show, someone who has achieved remarkable success by climbing the corporate ladder and is now the chief executive officer of a prominent mutual fund company in India. White Oak Asset Management Company. Please join me in welcoming Ashish Somaya into the show today. Ashish, it is a pleasure to have you on our show. Ashish brings, wealth, Ashish brings a wealth of experience to the table, having served as his managing director and the chief executive officer of Motilal Oswal Asset Management Company. During his tenure with Motilal Oswal, the assets under management grew from just under 1,300 crores to over 42,000 crores in a span of eight years across different investment products like domestic mutual funds, offshore funds, portfolio management services, alternative investment funds, etc. Prior to his role at Motilal Oswal, Ashish spearheaded the sales and distribution efforts for ICICI Prudential AMC and effectively led the sales and distribution efforts in India and Middle East. With more than 20 years of experience across business management, sales and distribution, product development, Ashish effectively has seen the growth of India's nascent private sector asset management industry ever since he started his career in 1998. Ashish, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on our show and we cannot wait to dive in to understand a bit more how did you get started with the journey. So let's dive into the first question, Ashish. What really, I would say, inspired you to join this industry when it was not, I would say, so hot? right back in 1998-2000 and how has your journey really, I would say, transpired from ICICI to Motila Loswal where you ended up being the CEO and what was the motivation to, you know, jump the ship and join an upstart like White Oak? So, uh, thank you very much, you know, for inviting me. Uh, generally speaking, when you speak to anybody about, you know, uh, their professional journey or their a personal journey or you know if you speak about any kind of uh you know journey in, in, in any sense typically what you get across is like a perfect backstory right so yeah but uh generally things appear to be very very well planned and they appear to be like a you well know, thought out sequence of events uh, frankly nothing like that honestly if you ask me in the late 90s uh basically by by uh, by qualification i'm a chemical engineer and I worked uh, in a manufacturing concern uh, for some time. Uh, back then, you know, I was dependent on my sister to fulfill my educational you know, requirement. Uh, and back then, also in our country, we used to pay engineers quite badly. Uh, and, you know, computer science was not what it is today. Right. Uh, so uh, while I was dependent on my sister, she kind of suggested. That in the time I'm uh, paying for you, why don't you do your post-graduation as well? Mm-hmm. So that's where I ended up studying uh, And everybody in my classmate who had kind of an engineering background or a master's in finance, uh, most of those people wanted to become portfolio managers or they wanted to uh, join a blue chip consulting firm or they wanted to be investment bankers or, you know, corporate finance guys, mm-hmm. etc. And what I realized... Uh, by the way, so I started, despite whatever edu- educational background, I started my career on chain. I was making mutual funds through B2B distribution channel. So everybody with my kind of background wanted to be a portfolio manager and uh, 
changed at that point in time was heavily influenced by Ms. Dipinawa's portrayal in this movie, you know, about selling soap. I don't know if you've seen that movie. That's right. Sales was perceived to be a job where, you know, you would be ringing doorbell and trying to sell soap and shampoo. But as you'll appreciate, financial services, more specifically investment management, the sales is not what it is often portrayed to be. It's very consultative and it needs the fair uh, technical understanding of what economists and portfolio managers are communicating versus what the end customer will eventually end up uh, understanding or consuming. So I found that I found that uh, interesting, you know, because it needs technical understanding, but it also needs the art of communication, which is absolutely simplistic, right? Uh, so that's how I started off. Uh, and I thought, I mean, you know, from campus, even I got some blue chip uh, kind of jobs, you know, with consulting firms uh, or with, you know, uh, very heavily regarded uh, finance uh, companies. But I just felt that uh, for a technically qualified person with reasonable communication skills, uh, the least competition was actually in sales. it is financial services. So that is the only time I think I used Michael Porter's uh, concept very, very effectively and figured out where I could differentiate or position myself and start with a place which had least possible competition in terms of uh, technical understanding as well as. You know, in 1998, nobody went around taking a laptop and computing rolling returns and standard deviation like the Arsenal board portfolio. So a good place to start. And then I persisted, you know, I continued uh, in the same role. At an earlier point in time, I used to think I'm quite introverted. I will expect for the role. But I think eventually uh, there is a, that, that's another caricature that salespeople, actually salespeople don't necessarily need to be explored. Salespeople who are quiet and listen, they can do a good job. So I think the early part of my journey was a lot of uh, busting of misconceptions and, you know, figuring out how I can make my mark. So yeah, God has been kind, it's been an interesting journey. Also, uh, one of my early bosses told me that however good you may be, the best of guys need a teammate. And the reality is that in 98-99 when I was a management trainee, from there on, India's capital markets and more specifically asset management has seen a you know, so you've been part of an escalator which was anyway moving up. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a great and exciting journey from that point on. Great. And what was really sort of like your motivation? You had sort of joined Motilal, uh, eventually ended up becoming a CEO and was already running a well-established firm, so to speak, right? I think there was only up to go from there. What, what was the motivation behind, you know, uh, jumping the ship and joining White Oak since, uh, again, it was relatively new into this asset management space uh, and something which is really different from, you know, uh, serving the HNIs uh, through a PMS offering. Yeah. So, uh, if you really ask me, I perceive myself uh, as a, you know, uh, see, generally the world is broken into, I think, perceivably broken into professionals or entrepreneurs. Uh, slightly speaking, I see myself more as a professional entrepreneur. I may not necessarily have the capital or the risk appetite to pump in a lot of capital. But I, as a professional, I definitely have the risk appetite uh, to be able to set up uh, businesses or set up a professional firm, uh, right? Uh, and in my entire journey, I have had three or four occasions or opportunities uh, where I have been involved with firms in very, very formative uh, stages. Of course, when I was in ICACI in the late 90s, there were other people like me and we were very, very junior, you know, more like management training. But just to give you a sense of scale, 
when I joined ITSA mutual fund as a trainee, the assets under management were about under thousand crore. Uh, when I was head of sales of ICSA mutual fund, it was just, I think, a hundred uh, thousand crore. Uh, and today, you know, it's one of the largest asset management companies. I quit, I quit 10 years back, but you know that, you know the scale today. So, uh, then, uh, for example, in 2007, actually, I had quit ICSA. I was a project manager with a French company called AXA when they were setting up their business in India. Uh, when I joined Mozilla Doswal, like you said, my job was to, uh, you know, help them to uh, launch active mutual funds. Uh, we also relaunched uh, and repositioned passive mutual funds. We also scaled discretionary portfolios and the alternate investment funds. So we launched funds in Mauritius and tried to get global money into India. Uh, so why I'm giving you this example is because I, I do believe uh, that I have this penchant for trying to, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I prefer to take on challenges or I prefer to uh, build new businesses or build new product companies. Uh, the other important thing is that, you know, when I came across Prashant Khemka and the team of Senate White Oak, I felt that there is a very solid institutional setup in terms of investment management acumen. Because prior to founding uh, prior to founding White Oak, Prashant was CIO at Goldman Sachs Asset Management. He had a long tenure of managing global money which was invested into India. But this time around when he set up White Oak Capital, unlike his previous stint, in this stint he was very clear that he wanted to set up domestic asset management, you know, managing money for onshore investors. So when I met him and I met the team here, I did get a sense that I, there could be a role for me to play uh, in helping, you know. Because if you see any, uh, if you see asset management as a, as a profession or a business, 90% ruin of this business is investment management. Wow. So if you have investment management capability, then you can do, then you can build around it. And uh, however good you may be at organizational setups or strategy or, uh, you know, distribution or product, if you do not have investment management, everything comes to a lot. So when I interacted with Prashant and the team here, I felt that there is a very strong, strong institutional process. And you know, the investment management capability is right up there. And there is something of relevance for clients which can be built. Great, 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 Ashish. I think one of the biggest benefits or I think from our vantage that we can see in your career is that obviously you have seen multiple market cycles right whether as an advisor or uh, as an asset manager i think that is something that really comes in handy when you are ultimately dealing with retail investors money right how do you do you need to be able to see the market cycles to be able to you know impart that confidence into investors and what we've been seeing in india at this point in time yes markets are at an all-time high right now but this is broadly where it has been gyrating over the last 18 months or so so what advice would you have to investors at this point in time? Because as wealth managers, we often have investors who come to us and their often fallback is we would have just invested in fixed income and at least got a 7 to 8% return, right? That, that, that view of viewing equity as an asset class of wealth generation starts to fall off the moment they start, start seeing stagnating returns, right? So what advice or how do you deal with such periods uh, and your advice to investors be at this point in time to just stay invested in the markets? Yeah, I think uh, I, I'll, I'll answer this on two points. Uh, one, as you'll appreciate, that investing is a lot about behavior. And behavior is a lot about how you envision, uh, how you visualize a uh, situation. Now, what happens is that whenever the market falls or whenever the market is flatlining, uh, most people feel exactly the way you said, that if I put in a fixed deposit, 
in a matter of two years, at least on a gross basis, the hundred would have become hundred and thirteen, hundred and fourteen. And now I'm in equity, and you know, after two years, my hundred is more like ninety or twenty-five. So then, you know, I am twenty-five percent behind, or twenty percent behind where I could have potentially been. Now this is the holy grail. This is the pitfall. Right. But the point is, if you visualize that it's it's ninety-five instead of hundred and fourteen, that is one way to look at it, and that can really psych you out of investing in it. But I always visualize these things, you know, more in terms of physical or science uh, kind of related objects. If you look at a spring, for instance, right? Let's say there is a spring which is ten centimeters in If you compress that spring by say fifty percent, obviously it becomes five centimeters in So most people who are observing this arithmetically might say that, oh my God, fifty percent down. But the point is that a spring becomes a lot more valuable when it is actually compressed. Right, because it starts storing energy, and the spring which is fifty percent compressed, if you release it, it will not recoil fifty percent. It will recoil the entire energy. So, if you take the last eighteen months, what has happened is that in eighteen months, Nifty is at the same level. But the reality is that in those eighteen months, the EPS of Nifty companies has gone up by about twenty-five to. And for good companies, the cash flows might have even kept pace or gone up much more, right? So the point is that stock markets are such that to the extent that you are dealing in a portfolio of going concerns, uh, you know, prices not moving uh, should be visualized as a spring which is storing more and more energy, and it will eventually recoil and return everything that you deserve to be returned. Right. So I think one is it's a play of how you visualize situation, and it needs good understanding of the market phenomena for you to visualize it in the. That's one. Second point is that if you really see the last eighteen months, I mean, you know, look, uh, we are lucky that we did not see a twenty thirty percent correction, given all the macro headwinds, right? I mean, emerging market led selling, uh, you know, China and U.S. led tech collapse, uh, the war and commodities and interest rates. I mean, so many things happened. We deserve to be twenty thirty percent lower, but I think the reality is that domestic investors' appetite for uh, investing in equity, and on the other hand. We were able to manage our fundamentals, and probably RPI did a great job. And even the fiscal policy was in the right route. So I think we got away with very less damage. And frankly, uh, if hundred rupees becomes, you know, I'll give you an example. Let's say there is a packet of biscuit. It's available for ten rupees, right? Eighteen months back. Today also it is available for ten rupees. But the point is that eighteen months back it it had five biscuits. Today it has six or seven. Yeah. How you visualize this thing? Uh, and you know uh, how you visualize these things and how you react. I think that is what determines the uh, success of any. Investor. I mean, I'm repeating. Last 18 months, we've got off lightly. Could have got worse. You know, similar things playing out. Maybe 10 years back, India would have been 25, 30 percent down. Yeah. So we should we should read into these resilience and get get confident. Great. Uh, so actually, that provides us a very good segue into another uh, interesting concept of. Yes, definitely, everyone is out there looking for returns, and in the bull market, sub for returns. Yeah, I think, I think at that point in time, if they are not invested into equities, they think they have sort of like you know missed the bus. But I think again, at this point in time, when markets stay flat or is just sort of moving sideways, people also realize the importance of having a very good asset allocation strategy. Right, I think that is something that is definitely not very well appreciated by Indian investors when we go out, speak to them, try to make them understand of. Having a proper asset allocation strategy rather than randomly investing into you know the best performing or the best uh, best best return generating instruments, right? 
So why do you think asset allocation as a strategy is something that is really important for investors today? Having a mix of multiple asset classes, not just within equities, but also, let's say, debt, fixed income, uh, international investing. Uh, how does that play into, you know, an overall investor's return over a longer period of time? I think that uh, it's very clear that none of the asset classes has a desirable outcome in a linear fashion. Right? Say, for example, if you look at equity, one needs to understand, again, visually, uh, you need to understand that returns in equity, if somebody says it in last 30 years, since is 12.5% compounded since India's liberalization, let us say, then the 12.5% compounded is not linear, right? Uh, it's obviously a combination of some 20%, 30% down and some 10% up and so many discrete calendar years or discrete financial years and the average of all of them, right? And then you will end up at the 12-13% CAGR. So I think this CAGR is a very misunderstood concept. Everybody needs to visually understand what is the meaning of these two things. One, that equity returns are non-linear. And the second thing is that equity returns are hence lumpy. Right. So if you look at the last five years, very different. In last five years, everybody has a handsome double digit return. Right. We are in June 2023 and we are sitting on 18 and a half thousand on the Nifty. You might recall that same period five years back, Nifty was 10,000. So in five years, if it is more than 80% up, then we must have got 14% compounded kind of number. But let's look at it this way that from June 2018 till April 2020, you made a lot. The market you were up and down, but eventually by April 2020, you must have been 30% down. Then from April 2020, in October 2021, you had this rip-roaring rally and you know, big up. And we just discussed that from October 21 till now, it's practically nothing. So in this five years, and if you look closely, in this five years, people made return only in between a window of 18 months. And you know, what is the staggering fact? You take any five-year rolling period, for a year or two years, market goes nowhere. For a year or two years, it's actually declining. It's always this period of couple of years in between where you get disproportionate or above average return. And that's the whole point. That's why I said that equity returns are non-linear and they're lumpy. And when the return is being generated or when the index reflects the earnings, that is the period when you really need to be there uh, for you to enjoy that benefit. So returns are non-linear. Now, the point in time, if you're fully invested in equity, when market is doing nothing, then you will definitely feel stressed about it. You will feel I should have been in a fixed deposit. On the other hand, that period of couple of years when the market is really giving a big rally, if you're not in equity and you're sitting somewhere in uh, some other asset class, then you will again feel The problem is that which year or two years in any five-year time window will really reward you seems to be kind of difficult to forecast. When I speak, people might think this thing is me. But yeah. the reality is it's not. Correct? So, ultimately, the holy grail of investing is that you need that 9-10% coming to you year on year. But equity is incapable of giving it to linearly. And fixed income is incapable of giving you more than 6-7%. So, what do you do? You need a healthy mix. And every once in a while, there is a global crisis or big depreciation in the dollar and suddenly gold starts going up. So gold is also a hedge to equity. So the point is that, you know, you need asset allocation because none of the asset classes can give you linear return. 
none of the asset classes can give you the desirable rate of return. So you need a healthy mix to tide over all these kinds of circumstances. And finally, I will say, just like I have been comparing in other examples also, finally, I will say asset allocation is like chemistry, right? Uh, when you mix each of these asset classes, you know, they should be uncorrelated or they should have low correlation. And when you mix two or three asset classes, you should learn to see your return at a portfolio level. If I mix Indian equity, global equity, fixed income and gold and create a mix for you, and then depending on macro circumstances, I keep rebalancing the mix to optimize your portfolio. It is going to give you one end product, which should reduce your volatility compared to any asset class and which should optimize your return compared to any one asset class. Right. So I think uh, asset allocation is very scientific. It is something which is required to tide over the pitfalls of our behavioral biases. And it is most important because it will keep you in the market. Look, if you're overexposed, you will get thrown out. If you're underexposed, you will just be watching from the sidelines. So how do you participate consistently in a healthy manner? Basically, you never get exaggerated. You never get exposed to extremes, you know, right? You are always in a right balance. I think people make big mistakes uh, when they react emotionally to their investment. But people are likely to react emotionally to their investment only when they are exposed to extremes. So asset allocation is a great way to ensure that you are never exposed to the extreme vagaries of any market cycle. So Ashish, I think that's a very good point that you made that, you know, people just need to stay invested and not react emotionally. Yet again, we see a lot of investors basing their decision based on, let's say, what's happening in the US, where the session inflation or let's say the Russia-Ukraine war, how that is sort of like, you know, impacting the economy. Yes, all these events definitely tend to play a role in what happens domestically. But I think, again, as investors, we need to be humble enough to decide that probably we'll not be able to make such calls and perfectly time the market. There is so much that we are exposed to at this point in time from a news perspective that people try and base their decisions on what they're reading pretty much every day. It's an information, I would say, holes, fire holes, basically, right? So how do you sort of like, you know, draw that noise how do you tell investors that, you know, yes, definitely pay attention to what's happening in the world, but do not try and make investment decisions where you think will not be able to add value? Well, that's something that, again, we try and explain to investors, but then that sort of like becomes difficult in this, uh, in this, uh, I would say, hot uh, media cycle. You know, uh, there is one unfortunate thing about what you just referred to, which is information firehole, or then you use the great page, which is the hot media cycle, you know, World 24 by 7 News. There is one big problem with being right on top of all information. It gives you the illusion of being knowledgeable. So I'll give you an example. It was funny actually. If you see in October 2021, we hit 18,500. And then everybody felt, you know, market is overwhelming. So then if you switch on the television, uh, someone will tell you, yeah, but India, India ka amrit ka hai. It deserves to be 18,500. And we will make new ones. But look what happened. By May 2022, we were 15,200 on the new thing. So then you were left wondering, I mean, what happened? And they, yeah, but you know, the oil is $125. And then the war in the Europe. A war in Europe. Yeah. So you consume that information and you feel, yeah, okay, I got an explanation. Yeah, we fine. I'm in control. But when you get the explanation for 15,200 in November 2022, you find yourself at 18,800. And then again, there are explanations that, okay, you know, look, the world has got used to the war, oil prices are now okay, blah, blah, blah. And you believe in it. 
by March 2023, you are at 16,600. Again, there are explanations on US, you know, higher for longer. And so what is the problem? The problem is, look, nobody told you that there will be a war in advance. Nobody told you in advance that oil will, China will not have a great reopening and oil will go to 70. Right? Nobody tells you all this in advance. But the point is that the moment it happens, there are such intelligent explanations that it gives an illusion of having understood everything. Yeah, okay, I have understood and next time I think we will. It's all it's all explanation in uh, hindsight. Prashant always, you know, uh, Prashant is a very practical person, our founder, uh, very long experience. He always tells me that, you know, look, first the prices come and then the back coming in. Right? There are always explanations in hindsight. Yeah. But did anybody tell you in advance that load up your portfolio with BSU because there'll be a war and oil and energy will go up. Tari Manjar once said, that if you tell me where I'm going to die, I will never go there. So that's a highly sarcastic statement to say that you can never be in the right place. Right. The only thing you can do is to have a judicial asset allocation because, you know, have a broad portfolio which invests in best companies across all sectors. Don't try to figure which sector will work. Because which sector will work depends on rupee, depends on oil price, depends on the war, depends on government policy, USFDA action, so many things. So you will never be able to forecast these macros. It's a completely, you know, it's a coin toss. You will never be able to forecast macros. The only thing you can do is to have a broad portfolio across all sectors and then asset allocation, which takes care of all eventualities and never exposes you to extremes. I think that is the key point. You can always watch the news and you can always listen to, you know, Ashish and Varun so that you get some clarity and some explanation. But if, however great insights you and we might provide, I don't think we can comfortably predict which geography of the world or which sector is going to be the star for the next couple of years. Not possible. Right. And th I think that's very humble of you, of Ashish, to admit that. Right? I think you'll, again, find a lot of experts today who will proclaim to have seen the world through a certain lens and, you know, forecasted events uh, ahead of time. But I think uh, a lot of the investors, again, fall into this trap. So, but let's say someone who is just getting started with investing. Again, there is so much of knowledge, active or passive, large, mid, small, international value, growth, that people can just get lost into so much literature that, again, we see people are afraid of taking that first step because they are afraid that probably the, the decisions are not very optimized to, let's say, what my goal is. So, where should just an investor just get started with investing? Like, simple... If someone wants to test the markets, where should it get started? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, it's like this. If you are entering into uh, something, you know, like e investing in stock markets, equities, mutual fund, enemies, they are like an ongoing journey. You know, it started somewhere and it's never going to end. Right? You cannot trace it. You cannot trace the stock market and the economy back to its evolution. And you cannot, tra you cannot forecast the end of it. It's just an ongoing journey. It's like a running train, perpetual train, perpetual motion machine or whatever you call it. Now in this, you know, what happens is it's it's everybody has this penchant of entering this perpetual motion machine uh, and trying to run faster than the natural pace of that machine. I think that if you just enter it, right, and if you are above average or even if you get average, one is that, you know, if you have no clue where to start, like I always tell people, if you don't know what to buy, just buy the work. Because at a very elementary level, it is just important to participate. So it's like this. If I was somebody who had no clue uh, about stock markets and about investing, and I was just somehow convinced by someone that, look, if you want to grow your wealth, 
then you should enter into the stock market. And let us say I had no idea the stock market was in black box, but I just know that okay, somebody has explained to me that yeah, it will grow at twenty percent yearly. Find just my Nifty five hundred because I don't know where to start. So I said okay, let me buy BSE five hundred and Nifty five hundred because that's ninety six percent of the market. So I bought the market. So now I have a foot in the door. I'm assured at least that I will be performing as per the average, right? And then yes, of course, you know, look. Uh, if you if you go to a classroom or if you go to a hall or an auditorium and ask some hundred people that how many of you think you are above average in timing or how many of you think you are above average uh, at uh, X Y Z talent, I think eighty or eighty percent of the people will raise their hand and say that I am above average. You connect. So people are not happy with averages. So till the time people are not happy with averages, they will want active management and they will want to outperform the market and they will want to do better. So first, get your foot in the door. First, start participating in the market, and then figure your own way of how you think you can get a couple of percentage points more. You know, which is the best team, which is the best sector, which is the best fund manager or the fund house, or which is small cap is good for me or mid cap without perform. All that can happen later. The first and most important is to participate. Get your foot in the door, participate, and then you know figure your way out. Great, thank you so much for all of those valuable insights, Ashish. And before we end, just on a very personal note, obviously you've had a very illustrious, a glorious twenty twenty four years career in this industry, and obviously it has never been a straight line, as you admitted, right? So if you had to go back in time in the early two thousands and tell something to a young Ashish, uh, what would that be? Yeah, I think uh, I would have definitely, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, whichever way you look at it, you know, uh, a lot of learning. Like one of my bosses used to say, I put in Hindi, "Kutya mare bina swarg nahi milta." Well, maybe you heard it. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know in hindsight what I would have said, but yeah, if only I had an idea uh, that you know uh, you should keep expectations realistic. Like whatever I said, you know about uh, equity returns only near their lumpy, and you know the best you learn the best when things are really bad. Like if you ask me. My understanding of market, my understanding of the mathematics when driving the market, my understanding of asset classes of people has always come in phases like March 2020 or uh, you know uh, September 2008. And there's another one of my bosses actually said that if you want to become uh, you know uh, if you become better in the bad time, you will become bigger in the good time. So our quantum learning always comes when markets are going through a really bad phase because that exposes you to be extreme. Right? We, I myself invest only in equity. Every once in a while, my own hundred is down to sixty, seventy, eighty. Unfortunately, right? But both of the times I learned the most about the markets, about people, about myself, about assets. You know, when the when stock when Nifty is eighteen thousand five hundred, everybody is a fund manager and everybody is an economist. Right, but if we if it were to fall thirty percent tomorrow, that will separate the boys from the men, and that will really bring out character. So I think if I had known that you should enjoy the the tough time, and you should be thankful to God in the good time, and then maybe I would have done slightly better. Right. Great. Uh, this was a very insightful session, Ashish. Thank you so much for spending uh, your time with us, and I hope our viewers and listeners uh, take away something from Ashish. a uh, glorious career over the last 20 24 years in this asset management industry as he correctly again always pointed out i think it's important 
to stay humble and just stay invested in the markets. And I think uh, the rest of the things will take care of itself. So that's it for today with us. And we look forward to having you in our next show.